Welcome to the Elevate Life Church podcast of the week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit elevatelife.com. We're just so honored to live in what we all believe is the greatest country in the world. And, uh, you know, America, regardless of what we hear on the news and the talking heads and negativity at times, uh, America does a pretty good job at honoring. You know, it's not every country that has a Mother's Day. It's not every country that has a Father's Day. It's not every country that has a Veterans Day. It's not every country that has a Memorial Day. And just this week, I just kind of reflected on where all this began because somebody had to think this way. Back in 1868, General John A. Logan, the commander-in-chief of the Union Veterans Group known as the Grand Army of the Republic, issued a decree that May 30th should become a nationwide day of commemoration for the more than 620,000 soldiers that were recently killed in the Civil War at that time. 620,000. Just fighting on our own land for... uh, between the North and the South. On Decoration Day, as Logan dubbed it, Americans should lay flowers and decorate the graves of the war dead, whose bodies, he said, now lie in almost every city, village, hamlet, churchyard in the land. Logan chose May 30th because it was a rare day that didn't fall on the anniversary of a Civil War battle, though some historians believe the day it was selected to ensure that flowers across the country would be in full bloom. After the war, Logan, who had served as U.S. congressman before resigning to join the Army, returned to his political career, eventually serving in both the House and the Senate, and was unsuccessful in his Republican candidacy for vice president in 1884. However, when he died two years later, Logan's body was laid in state at the rotunda of the United States Capitol, making him one of only 33 people to receive such an honor. Today, Washington, D.C.'s Logan Circle and several townships across the country are named in honor of this champion of veterans and those who were killed in battle. And I just find it very interesting that somebody had to think it was important, important enough to declare a day. They originally called this Monday coming up Decorations Day. But in 1971, it was actually uh, commissioned as a federal holiday. And believe it or not, even though that was over 100 years later, there were some veterans who were concerned that if, if we make it a federal holiday, all people will think about is the lake. All they'll think about is they don't have to work that day. But the purpose for the day is to remember that there are people who gave their lives, who shed their blood, so that we could have the freedoms that we enjoy in the United States of America. And we just wanted to take a minute this weekend and honor those people. And I wanted us as a church, because we are the church, put an amen on that. I want us to pray for families that don't even know we're praying for them today, that have lost loved ones on the field of battle that's created a new normal for them. So would you just take somebody by the hand and and, uh, let's pray. Father, we're just grateful for this country. We're thankful that we are privileged people to live in what we believe is the greatest country in the world. God, we ask for your hand to be upon this country. God, your word says that if my people who are called by my name, not Americans, not not people who declare their ethnicity, not people who declare who they are and who they're not, but if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal, hear from heaven and I will heal their land. And God, I just pray that, that while we live in a world where there are wars and rumors of wars, that God, on this weekend, we just pause to acknowledge, first of all, that you are God and that we ask for your hand to be on our president, on our Congress, on our Senate, on our executive branches, our judicial branches, our legislative branches, Lord, every governor that leads every state, Lord, that your hand would be upon the people who are leading this great country. 
But Lord, also we pause just to remember those that have, have given their lives, those on the field of battle who have fought for this ideal called America. And we pray for every family that has lost a loved one because of this commitment in giving their lives. And we just speak a blessing on them today as your church. We just ask that your hand would be upon them in a very special way. And finally, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being our sacrifice. Thank you for shedding your blood so that we could be free, not just as Americans, but as sons and daughters of the Most High God. We honor you today, Jesus. We thank you for your sacrifice and for your life. And everybody said, come on, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. Let's put our hand over our heart. Let's make some declarations today. It's on the screen. Say it with me. I am who God says I am, a child of God the righteousness of God. I'm the apple of God's eye. And I want to stop right there just for a second. In case you don't know it, that's what the Bible says about you, that you are the apple of God's eye, that you're his special treasure. Say this with me. I am God's workmanship created for good works, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Today, I open up my mind to receive the word of God so I can think like God, be like God, and do life the way God intended for me to live. Let's lift up holy hands, say it with me. Come, Holy Spirit, help me elevate my thinking so I can elevate my life in Jesus' name. Amen. So glad y'all are here. Would you just greet somebody one more time, tell them they're looking good? We also want to say hello to our McKinney campus. Y'all give them a big hand. We love you guys. Thank you for being with us. I see y'all on the screen. Now, they can't see y'all unless somehow technologically they can put McKinney up on the screen. But y'all need to know right down here in front of me, I see McKinney while I'm preaching. So I'm preaching to y'all, but I can see y'all too. Hey, hey, McKinney. This is us over here in Frisco. Y'all, come on, give him a big hand. This is live right now. Don't you love technology? Isn't that amazing? So thank you guys so much. And uh, I'll come over there sometime and preach and make them watch it on the screen here. So anyway, that's awesome. We're so glad you're a part of our family. Thank you for being here today. And there, there may be some men that aren't aware of this, but there's not any woman that's here that doesn't know there was a royal wedding this last week. And uh, I have to be honest with you, I did not watch it. I was not one of the two billion people that watched the royal wedding. But I did see some of the residue from it on the television, the TV. And that's what we call it, television, TV for short, for those of you that are younger, under 30. Anyway, so they still watch TV. My son does not watch TV. He watches his phone. And so it's pretty amazing. But nonetheless, I watched television or TV. And so uh, when I was watching some of this, I just felt like the Lord spoke to me um, that while there are only 30 monarchies left in the entire world, most of us are familiar with the monarchy uh, just through um, England. We're, 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 we're a little bit familiar with the way it works, even though none of us really understand how it works. And most Americans think it's the, that the royal family is just a figurehead, but they're actually much, much more than that. And, um, and so when this happened, it just made me think, first of all, two things. The first thing was, this is our year to get the word to move forward. Come on, everybody, you're moving forward in the name of Jesus. This is our year to move forward. And I wanted to come back to that as the father of this house, but also as a, as a pastor here that, uh, that, that God has given us this word, and don't forget it. And I just wanted to remind you on this last weekend of May, this, this grace month, this fifth month of the year, God's power to do things God's way, that, that, that God wants us to move forward. And as we move forward, my thought was, let's move forward as the royal family. You see, as Americans, it's very hard for us to wrap our minds around what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is not set up as an American system of democracy where two-thirds of the majority rule. The kingdom of God is set up, there is one king, his name is Jesus Christ. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is God's only son. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And he represents everything that God is 
And God so loved us that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ. And when Jesus was baptized and he came up out of the water, here's what God said about Jesus. He said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then he said, hear him. Hear him. He is my spokesman. He is my son. He is my sacrifice for you. He didn't just say, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. He said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. Because when you hear him, you hear me. Somebody put an amen on that. So we're a part of this royal family, and I would just very respectfully say that most of us don't think like that. We, uh, I have the last name I have, Kraft, and honestly, after my, my, I know nothing about my lineage. Uh, I know about my dad. I don't know anything beyond that. And most of us do not have any kind of lineage or heritage that we can refer to or that we've been the beneficiaries of. We've just been born into a family and everybody's trying to make it and live the American dream and hopefully get their house paid off and retire and not need the government to support them. And yet, that ain't us. We're the royal family. I said, we're the royal family. And we are the family of God. So I wanted to bring you back to that. I want to take you to 2 Samuel, the 7th chapter, and just talk to you about, I believe, what God wants us to understand this weekend, what the Father wants to say to us this weekend. Now, it came to pass when the king, everybody say king, not the president, not the leader, not the director, not the manager, not the CEO, but it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house that the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around that the king said to Nathan the prophet, now this is David, he's having a, pro, a, a conversation now with the prophet Nathan, he said, you know, I dwell in a house of cedar, in fact, it's a, it's a palace, it's, it's very nice. And yet, I'm realizing something. God dwells in tents. I have this house. It's a nice house. But God dwells in tents and curtains. Then Nathan, the prophet, said, Go do all that is in your heart. The Lord is with you. In other words, what he was hearing David say is that David was having this royal thought process. The royal thought process was, Look, I got my house. I got my gold. I got, I'm rich. I'm a king. But yet God is dwelling in tents and curtains. And Nathan said, whatever you feel in your heart, go do it. The Lord is with you. So look what it says next. But it happened that night, everybody say that night, that the word of the Lord came to Nathan and he said, here's what I want you to tell my servant David. Tell him this, Nathan. Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? It, in other words, he, wouldn't, he isn't asking him to build him a house. He's, he's saying, you're, you're wanting to build me a house? For I've not dwelt in a house since the time I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Now listen, he says, tell him this, where I've moved about with the children of Israel, have I ever spoken to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, why have you not built me a house? I've never said this to anybody. And yet David, the king, is saying, I want to build God a house. God's saying, you tell David, I, haven't, I didn't tell him to do that. I'm not asking him to do that. Now, therefore, I want you to tell David this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people of Israel, and I've been with you everywhere you've gone, and I've cut off all your enemies before you, and I've made your name great like the name of great men who are in the earth. Since that time that I commanded judges to be over my people of Israel, and I've caused you to rest from the, your enemies. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. But I already got my house. I mean... Why is God telling me he'll make me a house? We'll get to that in a minute. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, Nathan, you tell David, my servant, that I will set up his seed after him who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you, and your throne shall be established forever. Nathan, you go tell David that. In other words, here's what he was saying. I didn't ask David to think this way. 
Do you know that God doesn't ask you to think anyway? But when you start thinking like a royal, and you start thinking like a son or daughter of the Most High God, and you start thinking about God, not just your house, not just your family, not just your job, not just your situation, not just your circumstance, but all of a sudden your mind shifts and you start thinking about God in relationship to your life and go, man, God's really blessed me. Man, look, I've got this house and God doesn't even have a house. God says, I didn't ask anybody to, to build me a house, but because you're thinking this way, Nathan, I want you to tell David something. I'm not only going to build his house, but I'm going to take care of his throne forever. This is one of the greatest prophecies in Scripture because we find at the birth of Jesus, the angel announced to Mary, don't be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Put an amen on that. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest. Now listen to this. This is a part of the fulfillment of prophecy of Scripture. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and to his kingdom there will be no end. Thousands of years later, here's this prophecy coming to pass. The great-great-grandfather of Jesus, David, King David, who was a part of a kingdom that God established with his people, the kingdom of God and how the kingdom is supposed to work. And we, we were far removed from that. And yet the Bible says Jesus will not only be of the house of David. But I'm giving the kingdom of David to him. And it will flow through him. And everyone that follows him will be a part of that kingdom. Welcome to the royal family everybody. Welcome to the royal family. You see that's what it's all about. It's about us understanding that. I just wanted to bring us back to that. That while the world, two billion people, watch and think, how amazing is this? That this American girl, Megan Markle, could marry a prince. How amazing is this? In fact, if you know a little bit about the story, Megan has been going through some training. Some of you may know this and some of you may not know this, but she is required to have a royal coach. And the royal coach, for six months, teaches her how royalty acts. So Megan wanted to be a princess, did she? Here's what that means when you become royalty, at least in the kingdom there. Megan, you have a social media following of about 2 million, 3 million people. That's going to go away. Because, see, as royalty, we don't talk about ourselves. In fact, it's never going to be about you again. In fact, you'll never take a selfie again, Megan. Only peasants do that. It's true. No selfies. Oh, by the way, even though you're a prince, there's no autographs either. Somebody asked her recently, could I have your autograph? She goes, oh, we're not allowed. She's learning the ways of royalty. In fact, when there is a state event where there's a dinner, like the President of the United States comes in, it takes about a year to plan those dinners. And what's amazing is she's learning the etiquette, the British protocol, the royal protocol of you don't pick up your fork until the queen picks up the fork. And when she picks up the fork, you can pick up your fork. So with the hundreds of people that gather in a state dinner event, nobody eats before the queen. And when the queen stops, everybody puts their fork down and they stop. You might say, that's ridiculous. That's because you're a commoner. <laughs> I don't agree with that. That's because you don't see yourself as a princess or a prince. Because, see, there's rules and there's protocol and there's reasons because... Strangely enough, as it is in our American culture, that's honor. But it's not just that. Megan, you'll never wear holy jeans again. Oh, no, princes don't wear holy jeans. In fact, you will not wear those miniskirts either anymore, Megan, because rose don't. You will wear dresses down to your knees, and you'll watch this, and you'll see all this fold, unfold. Oh, and we know that you've been an actress, and we know you were on Suits for seven or eight years, and 
we know that you're popular and we know that you had, had your own money, and, but you won't be working anymore, Megan. You won't be acting anymore. It's not about your career. You see, now you're a part of the royal family. And now you will represent us, not just pursue your own dreams. You see, she's going through six months of training. It's called detoxing. Because <laughs> you're not going to be a commoner anymore. You're a royalty. She's learning how to drink tea. You know, you know why we drink tea in Texas, man. Give me some unsweet tea or sweet, depending on who you are. And uh, we take our glass as big as we can get it, and we just drink our tea. No, 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 that, that's not the way we drink tea. In fact, the way we drink tea is we take our thumb, we take our forefinger, we grab the tea, we take our middle finger and support the tea underneath. That's the way we properly do it. Don't just grab it, put the middle finger underneath, and then drink your tea. Really? Yes. You mean there's a way that I, oh yeah, and oh by the way, this right here, we will never show how we feel on the inside, on the outside with our face. We will never say unkind or unpleasant things in public about other people because we are royalty. You see, also, when somebody greets you and they say, hello, based on the tonality of their voice, you respond in kind. No one just greets you and says, hey, how you doing? You don't say, oh, okay. No, you match their level of emotion. See, this is why it takes six months, even though I've trained this with my kids their whole life. You see, the truth is she's learning even how to sit. Oh, some of you ladies with your legs crossed. No, 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 we don't do that. We're, we're not commoners. We're princes. And that means we put our knees together and our ankles together, and that's how we sit properly. And mainly to the left, it's called the Cambridge Cross, and you will learn it if you are a royal. You can cross your ankles if you like, but as a princess, this is the way we sit because we're princesses. Oh, and one of the most unique things is to learn how we do table settings and silverware. You see, it's not just your fork and your knife, but there's three or four forks and there's three or four knives. And one is for your butter and one is for your fish. And by the way, we're going to show you how to eat your food and what's the proper way to eat. But just remember, when the king stop, or queen stops eating, everybody stops eating. So you might notice, if you watch close and if they ever shoot it, when once the, king, the queen picks up the fork, all the men, <laughs> she may stop. <laughs> I am eagle, you can imagine. It's like the men are going, oh, oh, give me some more, give me some more. If she still got her, okay, so. One thing that she's learning as a royal is what's called, and many of you know, the curtsy. To properly give honor, head up, back straight, leg forward, bend the front leg, and anybody that's above you, you curtsy them. You give honor. This takes about six months to learn and practicing over and over and over and over to get it into your mind and your spirit. So the royal coach has been assigned. You know, I, I had a, an interesting dynamic growing up because my uh, mother, you know, we were all a part of the, the meal preparation as it related, we all had duties. And so one of the things that my mother uh, taught us was how to set a table. And I would just encourage you, if you're a mom, don't think that your children are above that. Really teach them how to set the table. And I, I know how to set a table. And so we had the napkin and we had, now it wasn't a extensive, but we had the fork or forks and we had the knives and we had the spoon. We had everything that was placed right. And so this is the kind of family that I grew up in. So I grew up just setting the table and thinking that way. And, uh, and so uh, I was in about the seventh grade or so, 11 or 12 years old. And and we were having a choir party at our house. And my mother said, Keith, I, I, I don't have any napkins. Now, some people wouldn't be concerned about that, like my wife. She is not a napkin person. You don't have to be a napkin person when you're perfect. You don't spill anything. You don't, I mean, when, when little Precious eats, she eats so dainty. She eats about six to eight meals a day. She eats right. That's why she looks the way she looks. I am a gorger. It's like, oh, it's mealtime. I mean, I, I just, 
It's like I get ready. Like if I'm, I'm eating like it's my last meal that day, every meal that day. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Not a little precious. She eats it just proper little portions. Just so I go, you're, you're, you're not going to live on that. She goes, I can eat anytime I want. It's amazing. But also, she never uses napkins. So in our house growing up, if I didn't set the table, there wasn't napkins. Because she didn't think about napkins. So now we make sure that the paper towels are there. But the fact is, I'm the napkin guy in our family. But my mother said, I, I, we're, we're having this choir party, and she said, I need you to, to run to the store. I'm, I'm out of napkins. Of course, I thought, oh, that's horrible. So I, I rode my bike down to the store, and she said, now remember, get the nicest napkins you can find. I said, I will, Mom. I've got this. I go in the store, and I'm looking, and I see it. It was like, oh. It was this beautiful purple box with a yellow flower on it. And at the bottom, it said, feminine napkins. I thought, these have got to be the nicest napkins. Why would they even put feminine napkins on them if they weren't nice? I thought, my mom will love this. I grabbed the purple box, and I, I paid for it. I thought it was a little expensive, but nonetheless, I knew my mom was going to be happy. And I got home, and she goes, okay, everybody's getting here. They're arriving. And sure enough, about 30 people were arriving. The doorbells were. She goes, just set the table. Get the napkins on the table. I said, okay. And so I, I opened. I thought, oh, they're even individually wrapped. This is amazing. I thought, so I took each one out of the wrapper. I placed it. I remember setting the first fork on it going, well, look at that. That's... That's amazing. That is amazing. Well, I had just gotten all of them set out. People are coming in. They're all talking. We get in a circle. We pray. And then we sit down at the table. As we sit down at the table, I saw this horror, look of horror on my mother's face. Like I knew something was wrong. I just had no idea what was going on. She looks up at me like this. She goes, Keith Allen, anytime she said Allen, I knew I was in trouble. I, I, yes. I could hear a little, a little laughter. She goes, go to the kitchen. I go, okay. I walked in the kitchen. She goes, what is this? I go, is that the greatest napkin you've ever seen, Mom? I mean, I saw those in that box, and then when I pulled them out, they're so thick. They say they're absorbent. It's amazing. That day, I had a royal coach. <laughs> I learned what those feminine napkins. Anyway, so it was crazy. <laughs> I walked back out and I said, uh, <laughs> sorry, I <laughs> get y'all some paper towels or something. <laughs> Jesus, as we transition, <laughs> when he was being baptized, he comes out of the water, and as I said, the voice comes from heaven, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, hear him. The next verse says in Matthew 4, that Jesus began to preach from that time forward, everybody say forward, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is within your grasp. Let me just put that in perspective. If I were to say, you need to repent, every person here would say, what, for what? Because we think repent is, I'm sorry for what I've done. So when we hear that statement, we think, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is within your hand. We think, I've got to say, I'm sorry again. That's not what Jesus was saying. Repent, watch this now, turn around, change your thinking, and walk according to my way, not your way. Repentance has been diminished to, you need to repent. Okay, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me. And so here's what happens to a lot of people. They ask God forgiveness because they feel ashamed or they feel bad, but watch this. There's never a metanoia in the Greek. There's never a change of heart and a change of mind that dictates a change in direction. There's a lot of people who believe in God. But just like my third grandbaby that I got to spend some time with this week, 
Little Charlie, Charlie Monroe, that I decided the name that I'm going to call her because all my children, they name their kids and then I rename them. And I'm calling her Cha-Cha. Cha-Cha. Hey, Cha-Cha. Hey, Jay. Hey, Cha. And so we already have a very special relationship. In fact, we were on the way to the airport and she's sitting in the row in front of me and I'm in the back seat and just about the whole time, just for about an hour, I was talking, just on and off talking to her. Hey, and so I do this little thing and I've not done this with Livy, Livy Rayleigh. I haven't done this with Layla Shayla and I do this with her. I go, this is her little thing. And every time I do it, see them, I'm telling the truth, she smiles. She can be crying. She'll stop crying. I go, now I talk to her. So that's our little thing. And it gets her attention. She kind of smiles even if she's kind of crying a little bit. And so here's what I was talking to her. I'm talking to her. I'm saying, you and me are going to be, we're going to have a very special relationship. She's going, you're going to love it. I've got so much I'm going to do for you. You don't even know. She's just smiling. And then out of my mouth, I heard myself say this. You have no idea what I'm talking about. (laughs) And then my next thought was, this is just how God feels about us. We're like living our life, and we're royalty, and he's trying to speak to us as royalty. And sometimes it makes us smile, sometimes it makes us cry. Life I'm talking about. And God the Father is speaking to us, and we might even be worshiping, we might even be in his presence, but just like little Cha-Cha, Charlie, we can only smile because of the limitation of our understanding of how he wants us to think, be, and do in his kingdom. And I'm just sitting there, I like love her so much already, and yet she doesn't, she doesn't really do anything except smile at me. And I think this is exactly the way God feels about us oftentimes. And he's not able to speak to us because of the level of our thinking. Because we're Americans. Because we're white. Because we're black. Because we're rich or want to be. Or poor or don't want to be. Because we're hurt. Because we're bruised. Because we go through stuff. Watch this now that keeps us dumbed down or baby-like so that the kingdom of God is never, watch this now, we never get this understanding that if I'll repent, if I'll change my mind, if I allow my heart to be changed, if if I'll begin to follow him like never before, the first thing that came out of Jesus' mouth was the kingdom of God, listen now, is within your grasp. But here's what we're doing. We're not grasping for the kingdom of God. We're grasping for the next deal. We're grasping for the next loan. We're grasping for the next thing that we think is going to bring us joy. And yet he says, repent, change your heart, change your mind, change your direction, and watch this. The kingdom of God is within your grasp. Why? Because you're my sons and you're my daughters, and that makes, makes you princes and princesses in my kingdom. Are you ready to shift your thinking just a little bit today? I'm not here to tell you how to think, and neither is God. He didn't tell David to think like that. David started thinking, okay, God, you need a house. I'm going to build your house. I'm going to take care of your house. And by the way, by the time we get to to 1 Chronicles 29, read that chapter sometime. It's the greatest, one of the greatest passages in the Bible. Because David said, it was in my heart to build God, listen, a palace. And over and above, I supplied everything I could that was needed to build him a place. The gold for things of gold, silver for things of silver, onyx and stones. And long story short, that day himself, the largest single offering in the history of the world was raised. 
Not only did David himself give over a billion dollars in today's money in one offering, but he then looked at the leaders, starting with the captains of the captains, and that's the way we try to do it here. The people that lead you, we challenge them first, and he challenged those that were in leadership to give, and he said, now what will you do? And that day there was great joy because that day they did over two billion, and the greatest offering in one day was raised. For what purpose? Humanitarian causes, feeding the poor, all the things that we feel like we're good at giving towards, or was it the house of God? Because out of the house of God, all those needs can be met. And they gave towards the house of God. Why? Because they were a part of the kingdom. You see that cathedral we built out there? I wanted to do that all the way through here, by the way. I wanted to walk in, and like you've seen some of the great cathedrals in Washington or in Europe, I wanted you to be able to walk in this place and there to be that cathedral. It was just only five million more, and I decided, well, we can't do that right now. But we did it in our lobby. You know why? Because here's what that means. Cathedral is taken from cathedros, which means the elevated seat of the bishop of bishops. And so when people would walk into these old cathedrals, you say, why would they, why would they build them like that? Because it was the high and lifted up seat of Jesus himself, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when people would walk into those cathedrals, they would look up and they would go, and God said, that's where it starts. You're looking up. Now I can elevate you because you're elevating your thinking and I'm gonna elevate your life. This is the thought behind what we did even here. So with that said, a couple of things as we move forward, Here's my challenge to you. Take a look at your notes. Move forward in knowing that you are chosen by God to love and to be loved. God loves you. God believes in you. Somebody put an amen on that. God is for you. God made you in his image, and he has supernaturally endowed you to be like him. But if we're just like our dad or if we're just like our family or if we live like white people or we live like black people or we live like Hispanic people and we have more of our traditions than kingdom tradition, we're missing it. And that's the temptation for all of us. What I'm comfortable with and, and in my own skin, literally, rather than understanding, no, we're a part of something much more. Megan, it's not Megan's way anymore. You decided you wanted to be royalty, and if you're going to be royalty, you have to act like it. You have to talk like it. You have to walk like it. You have to dress like it. You have to represent, represent what the royal family believes. And everybody that's not a royal thinks it's ridiculous. For everything in the natural, come on, y'all help me. There's a supernatural correlation. So we're going to give you a royal coach, Megan, to help you cross the great divide from how a commoner thinks to how a princess thinks. We've got to move forward in knowing that we're chosen by God. You know that right up there with being hungry and food and air and water, which I find this interesting, by the way, is that the, the greatest needs that we have are water, he's the water of life. The greatest needs that we have are food, bread, he's the bread of life. The greatest need that we have is air, and he's the Holy Spirit. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. And yet right up there with our need for food and water and oxygen is our need to love and our need to be loved. In fact, if, 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 you wanted, if, if I were going to talk to you today and we were going to measure how happy you are today as a person on a scale of 1 to 10, here's what I can tell you. Your true happiness would be in direct correlation with how you're loving and who you're being loved by. Not how much money you make, but who do I love and who am I being loved by determines how happy I am as a person. And that's why God wants us to have great families. And that's why he wants us to be a, be a part of a royal family. Why? Because here's what the Bible says, Deuteronomy 7, 6. For you are a holy people, set apart people, who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people in the earth, the Lord God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. You know what I want Sela, or, or Sela, that's Josh's uh, wife that I've renamed her. Her name's Courtney, but I call her Sela. But Charlie, 
What I want Charlie to feel and what I want Libby to feel and what I want Layla Shelley to feel is the same thing I wanted my children to feel, and that is that they're a special treasure. I don't have to ask in front of all of you if my children have felt that way, if I've made them feel that way. I can tell you 100% I have. I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. I'm saying that was my job. And that's God's job. But you see, if we, if we never get past that, if we never understand that we're a special treasure to God, then how can we ever make other people in our lives feel that? You know what you, one of your number one assignments is in your marriage? By the way, you chose to get married. I don't think anybody's here that had a gun stuck up to your head and said, y'all going to get married. And if you chose to get married, if you'll treat each other like you're a special treasure that God gave them to you as a treasure from him, how can you have a bad attitude? How can you be negative? How can you act mad? How can you be upset? Here's the point. God gave me you as a treasure, and I'm going to treat you like that. And that's one of the greatest assignments that if you choose to get married, that is your job is to make that person feel like they're a special treasure. But you don't know what they've done. You don't know how they are. You don't know. No, no listen, it's your job. Not their job to make you feel that way. But whatever you sow is going to be what you reap. Somebody put an amen on that. It's acting like a royal and knowing that you've been chosen by God to love and to be loved. Jesus said this in the last week of his life, John 15. Here's what he said. You didn't choose me. Remember, I chose you. And I put you in the world to get married. Oh, no, rewind. I put you in the world to build a great business. Oh, no, rewind. I put you in the world to make a lot of money. Oh, no, rewind. No, those are all things that you think you're here for. He said, I put you in this world. I chose you to bear fruit. And if you'll bear fruit in your personal life, in other words, you'll be an energy producer, you'll be a seed sower, you'll sow the right things at the right time, when they need to be sowed, then you'll be a fruit bearer. And watch this, that won't spoil. Do you know the, I'm almost cussed. Do you know, when I'm talking about the devil, it's okay. But do you know that the devil, that the devil, his number one goal is to spoil your ability to bear fruit. So through pain and brokenness and disillusionment and unfairness, I want to bring you back today to know you're a part of the kingdom of God. And as a son and daughter of the Most High God, you didn't choose him. He chose you. And he's delighted that you've chosen him back. And now if you'll start acting like a royal, no, not putting on some kind of facade, but knowing God is for me, so who can be against me? I am a treasure of the Most High God. I don't care how my boss made me feel. I don't care how my daddy made me feel. I don't care what they did. I am a special treasure from God. And I'm going to begin to treat people like that and make the world a better place because I am a fruit bearer. Error. So put that scripture back up there. Listen, you didn't choose me. Remember, everybody say, remember. I chose you and I put you in the world not to have a great family, not to have a great business, not to have a great retirement, not to have enough money at the end of your life. No, to bear fruit and fruit that won't spoil. Quit letting stuff spoil your fruit. As fruit bearers, watch this now, not as sons and daughters, not as people who love God, but as fruit bearers, if you'll bear fruit, whatever you ask the Father in relation to me, he gives you. Not whatever, ask, not whatever you ask the Father, he gives you. Put it back up there. Whatever you ask the Father in relation to me, he gives you. So what should be one of my number one goals in life? To bear fruit. What kind of fruit are you bearing in your marriage? What kind of fruit are you bearing in life? What are you doing with your business? Are you just running your business? Like is, is, is coming to church and being a 
quote-unquote Christian one thing and then in the business world you're something else? Or do you realize, no, in every area of my life, God's called me to bear fruit and not allow anything to spoil it. And that gives me the power as a son and daughter of the Most High God because just as God was pleased in Jesus, he's pleased in me. So he'll bless my marriage. He'll bless my business. He'll bless my finances. Come on. So God has chosen us. We've got to move forward knowing I'm chosen. Everybody say, I'm chosen by God. And then here's the, here's the next thing. You've got to move forward past your past. Your past, by the way, was anything that happened before you walked in today. This is the present, and we're moving into the future. Somebody put an amen on that. So nothing that happens before you walked in here matters, okay? You're just going to start right here. You can't change your past but you can change your future. That's a cute little statement, but there's this thing we got to tack on it. If you'll learn from your past. How can I be assured that my future is going to be greater than my past if I learn from it? How can I be assured that my future is going to be greater than my present if I am learning while I'm, if I'm growing through what I'm going through that'll create breakthroughs in the future? Oh, you see, the truth is some people don't have any kind of assurance of a better future because all they've learned from the past is they don't want them in their life anymore. All they've learned from the past is that hurt and I'll never be hurt like that again. All they learned from their past is, well, I, I, like I'll never forget my dad came to me one time and he said, don't ever invest in the stock market. I lost it all. And you know what my thought was when I was 15? Let's learn better. I said, Dad, don't have that mentality. I said, he goes, well, I'm just not going to do it. I said, that's a mentality because you lost. But when you learn, you don't think like that. And I'm just here to tell you, you don't have to think like you've thought in the past. Don't let the lesson you learn make you negative about whatever, whoever, whenever, however. Make the lessons from your past that I'm a lifelong learner and I'm going to learn how not to do it. I'm going to learn how to be it. I'm going to learn from the biggest mistakes of others and then if I make it myself, I'm going to learn from that. Come on, put an amen on that. Take responsibility. Don't just say, I'm never doing that again. I got hurt in church. I'll never go back. It's not about that. It's about when you come into a church like this, there's a bunch of imperfect people. And I don't know none of y'all are, but I am. And I'm the one up here. <laughs> That's your royal coach. <laughs> the truth is God gives us a chance to be a part of a family of choice that transcends the negatives of our family of origin that we can do nothing about. And that's what makes a church family so vital and so important. Because guess what? You're choosing to do life with them just like you're choosing who you're going to be married to. So move past your past. On the back of your notes, there's what I call a TBQ, a thought behind that quote. And I would just invite you later to just read that. I'm not going to take time to do it. But back to Megan just for a minute. What has Megan had to move past from to be a part of a royal family? Well, her father was white and her mother was black. She was from a biracial family. And you might say, well, what's, what's wrong with that? Nothing wrong with that except all the tension that came with that. And back when she was growing up, people would make fun of her. But not just that. Then by the time she was six years old, her white father and her black mother couldn't work it out anymore. And they got divorced. So now she's not only biracial, which somebody says, well, is that a disadvantage? Only if you make it a disadvantage. By the way, we're all biracial, triracial, quadruple racial. You're my brother in the Lord and I love you. Our father's the same. Recalling an incident that happened in the seventh grade, here's what she said in her own words. There was a mandatory census I had to complete in my English class. You had to check one of the boxes to indicate your ethnicity. Because everybody, by the way, in case you don't know this, wants to put you in a box, including some of your own family of origin. They want you to think like them, be like them, and keep carrying on the prejudice both ways. White, black, Hispanic, Asian, only four boxes. 
There I was, my curly hair, my freckled face, my pale skin, my mixed race, looking down at these boxes and not wanting to mess up but not knowing what to do. Let's stop right there. How many of y'all have ever been in a situation, or maybe you're in a situation right now that you don't want to mess up, but you don't know what to do? Let me just see your hands. Because if you're not there, you will be there. It's like, I really don't know what to do, but one thing's for sure is I don't want to mess up. And let me just say one quick thing about that. Toothpaste is a natural supernatural correlation. Once you squeeze the tube, it is out. You cannot stuff it back in. You can try to stuff it back in, but it don't work. That's the power of your words. Only you can guard your tongue so that it's not squeezed out and you don't have to spend the rest of your life saying you're sorry. So she said, not wanting to mess up, but not knowing what to do, you can only choose one. And that meant for me that I would choose one parent over the other. I would choose one half of myself over the other. So my teacher told me to check the box for Caucasian. She said, look, it's how you look, Megan. You're more white than you are black. So I put down my pen, not as an act of defiance, but rather a symptom of my confusion, and I just couldn't bring myself to do that. What has she had to work through just as a princess, as an American who's now a royal princess? Family dynamics. Not only that other people put her in, but that her parents put her in, then that didn't work. And then being a, a female, and she considers herself a feminist, which the royals have said, that won't be happening. Because it's not about your causes. It's about being royal in the earth and representing all people, not just the feminist. And coming from her perspective, we get all of these things that we like and we don't like, things that we agree on, and what side of the aisle we're going to be on, and politically and everything else, and we let that become the driving force of our life, and our issues are our focus, and the, our concerns are our concerns, and God says, listen, Charlie Monroe, we're going to be close. This is going to be awesome. I have so much in store for you, but I don't need you to smile at me, frown at me, cry with me. I need you to listen to me, because there's a future for you that is unlimited if you'll think kingdom and not think like you think see some people even come to a church like ours and they want me they want us to fit in their box of how they think it ought to be I hear it all the time and even if I don't hear it I know people people are looking for a church listen to me that agrees with their theology rather than understanding no I need a royal coach and maybe I'm not that guy, but you need to find somebody that will coach you, not in what you believe, but help you elevate your thinking so you can elevate your life. That's how you know you're home. So all of us have to put past the past and move forward. Somebody put an amen on that. My question to you is, what do you need to move forward in today? It's holding you back. It's usually some way that you're thinking. And then finally, move forward into your royal future. I've got some great news for you. You don't just have a great future, you have a royal future. I said you have a royal future. Every lesson that you learn from your past makes you better and transforms any stumbling block into a stepping stone. What in your life do you look like, when you look back, do you look like... Man, that was, a, that was a wrong decision. That was something that happened. Maybe you had control over it. Maybe you didn't, but it became a stumbling block in your life. When you learn from it, it's your new stepping stone. Because I got better, not bitter. I want you to see this picture. Megan was 15. Her and her friend were in England on a trip and she's sitting in front of the house that 21 years later she would walk in as the duchess, the new princess in town. Now here's what I'm going to tell you and everybody here knows it but let me tell you anyway. When she's 15 and she's sitting there on that fence, by the way, on the other side of the street, she can't even get past the cones. She's not even over where the crowd is. It's just, hey, let's stop here and take a selfie. Let's take a picture. She had no idea that 21 years later, 
she would be a part of owning that. By the way, what happened in the next 21 years? Well, she was trying to live her dream. She, she went to school. She, she developed her paradigms and her thought processes and, and got married and got divorced. And at 36, was single. And any woman here knows that if you're 36 and you're single, it just narrows it down a little bit. It just does. It just narrows it down a little bit. And here she is on this fence, not, not ever imagining that she would marry an 11-year-old named Prince Harry. You see, when this picture was taken, he was 11. Now, let me draw a natural, supernatural correlation for you. Sometimes you can be sitting on a fence in your life. You can be straddling the fence, which is always uncomfortable, by the way. Not knowing which way I should go, kind of half into God, kind of half out of God. And yet God still got you. I said, God still got you. I said, God still got you. He doesn't look at that picture of you on the fence of your life and his plan ever change. I don't know if Charlie and I, Layla, Shayla and I, Livy, Rayleigh and I, I don't know what kind of future we'll have. I don't know how long God's given me on this earth to enjoy their presence and hopefully as a royal coach, speak into their life. But for every day that I have, I'm gonna believe that I'm gonna get to watch them grow up. I'm gonna get to believe that I'm gonna watch them meet the right guys right now. And the future princes in our family meet the right girls. I don't know how close we'll be, but can I tell you, it'll really be up to them because I've already decided we're going to be close. The Bible says if you'll draw close to God, he'll draw close to you. Sometimes we're away from God, not because God isn't there, but just because we haven't gotten off the fence. And he says, I've got so much planned for you. You're my son, you're my daughter, you're royalty. I want the best for you. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads just for a second. I'm gonna invite the Holy Spirit just to come in these next few seconds and draw you close to God. You might've come to church today because a friend invited you or you just checked the box, I just came to church. But coming to church is way more than about just a service, way more than about checking a box. It really is royal training so that we can reign. R-E-I-G-N, we can reign in the earth. God's will for you is to rule and reign. Let me say that again. Rule and reign in your marriage. Rule and reign in your business. Rule and reign in your life. But that starts over yourself. And if you're here this morning and you say, Keith, the truth is I'm just not where I know I need to be with God. Can I just encourage you to get off that fence and walk across the street and say, you know what? I may not be where I need to be, but I'm going to draw close to God and he's going to draw close to me and don't stay on the fence. If that's you and you say, Keith, I'm ready to get off the fence. I don't want you to look around. I don't want you to see what anybody else is doing. But if you're here, if you're in McKinney right now, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I want you just to say, I'm ready to get off the fence and I'm ready to draw closer to God. And if that's you on three, slip up your hand. One, two, three, come on. All over this place, just slip it up. Doesn't matter who's sitting next to you. I see your hands all over this place. Just keep them up. Doesn't matter. You just slip it up and say, I'm, I'm, I'm going across the street. I'm, I'm not gonna stay where I've stayed. Anybody else, real quickly. I'm gonna get my life right. Come on, today, today, today. You can put your hands down. Father, I thank you for every hand that was raised. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, just to do your work right now. Do your work in every heart. I'm gonna invite you just to pray a prayer with me. And it's a prayer of repentance, but more than that, 
It's a prayer of commitment. So pray this with me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, just say it out loud with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for making me a royal, a part of your royal family. And today, I step into that. I get off the fence of my insecurity, of my missing the mark, of my hurt and pain, my paradigms, my thought processes, and I'm gonna draw close to you, God. Everybody pray this with me. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying on a cross for my sins. I ask you to come into my heart and be the Lord and Savior of my life. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for accepting me. In your name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Make sure to get your copy of Pastor Keith Craft's book, your divine fingerprint and visit elevatelife.com for other exciting new content from Elevate Life Church.